This is Gateway City Sports. of the Turning 2 podcast. I am your co-host Tito Rivera. Matt Knowles has the night off, so we're riding solo today. No big deal. I'm going to give you my uh, series recap of the Brewers, the positives and negatives from each game. Then we're going to talk a little bit about the series uh, coming up with the Nationals. Um, so let's get right to it. Um, let's talk about game one right now. I know... Uh, that this is probably the most memorable game of the three. Um, but let's start with the positives. Wayno, much better this time around. Five innings, one earned run, six strikeouts, only two walks. Kept everything close. Kept the ball game close. Probably the most important thing that we could have probably gotten from this game. Um, especially when you knew you had a guy like Corbin Burns on the mound Who's a gamer? He he throws his fastballs in the 96, 98 mile an hour range. Um, he's got a great changeup. He's got a great uh, off speed pitch, um, and you saw it. It was it played out exactly how you thought it was going to be. Um, I said in the in the previous episode, you know, Matt Nels asked me what what was a better uh, game for Wayno, and I said really anything would have been better um, than what he gave us the first time around. Uh, which was true. I mean, when you give up seven earned runs your first outing, um, and you know you can't, you're not really expecting it to be much worse than that. Um, so you got to think on the positive side here and say he was going to be better, um, and that played out. I mean, he was starting at home. Um, you know, he's amped up for the home opener, and it was just a it's just a beautiful sight. Uh, so again, five innings, one earned run, six strikeouts, two walks. I don't think you could have asked for you know much better. Um, you might have asked for just him to go a little bit more, but hey, you take it. Um, and this one was a this was a tough game to win. I mean, like I said, Corbin Burns pitched very well. He was able to control the game for six innings, um, and then you know miraculously, I, I'm not sure why Craig Council decided to take him out, but Corbin Burns gets pulled, and then in the seventh inning, that's when the Cardinals finally found some offense. You know, after a very very quiet day with the bats um, especially from the guy that ends up uh, pushing across that run Tyler O'Neill um, he did not have that great of a game but stayed with his approach and was able to finally make some contact with the ball um, and then ran his little heart out to first base just to be safe so that run can come across um, and let me tell you that's not an easy thing to do, especially when you hit it semi-hard uh, semi to the shortstop. Um, 
But if you looked at the stats on it, he was able to actually run, I think it was 30 feet per second. Um, and if you know your you know, analytics or your, your uh, advanced metrics of the game, that's elite company. That's very, very, very fast. Um, so Tyler O'Neill was able to get down the line, stay safe at first, and push that run across to tie the game at one piece. Um, and that's probably where that momentum swing came in, right? We talked about, uh, you know, Matt, and I, Matt Knowles and I, while we were watching the game, texting each other, we talked about this exact scenario kind of feeling like the game against the Marlins with Sandy Alcantara on the mound, where the Cardinals were doing enough just to hang in there, just hang in there for a little bit longer until something broke for them. Um, and in this case, you know, the break was that the shortstop slips a little bit in catching that ball. Um, and uh, or actually, it was the second baseman because Colton Wong came out of the game injured. And the second baseman, uh, his replacement comes in, slips, and, and doesn't make the throw in time. But that was the break right there. That's what the Cardinals needed to get them over the hump. Um, and it's kind of the same way that it worked in, in Miami with, with that game. Uh, a game against Alcantara. They just needed a little bit of a spark to get them going. So Tyler O'Neill ties the game at one. And then I think we all know if you were watching, we all saw the magic that took place in that bottom of the eighth inning um, with Nolan Arenado at the plate. And I give credit to Matt Knowles for uh, tweeting out that, you know, it just felt like that not Nolan Arenado was going to. Uh, hit a go-ahead home run at that moment. I even said that, you know, in our last episode, Nolan Arenado was going to hit a home run um, in the home opener. And, and sure enough, you know, you get that moment of magic um, and that great call by Dan McLaughlin on, uh, on TV, and he crushed it. And there's something to be said about hitters who can to, who meet that moment, right? Yachty is a clutch player. Um, and this moment for Nolan Arenado was very much that that clutch factor. And, and, and think about it this way, right? You know, when you're up to bat and that first pitch is a fastball in the inside part of the plate, um, a lot of the times guys are not ready to hit. And they don't get that front foot down and don't pull their hands inside of the ball to get the barrel extended out to to um, to meet that uh, ball. And the thing is, if you slow that swing down, Nolan didn't really get all of that ball. I mean, he, he got jammed just a tiny bit enough, but he's a strong enough player. But he kept his barrel path in the ball just long enough for it to create some lift on it and push it out um, over the fence in left field. And it was just it was just a great moment in, in Cardinals home opener history, um, and it's just it's going to be one of the things where you just you'll never forget where you were when it happened. It's um, it was just a really really fun moment, um, and of course we know the story now that that was Nolan Arenado's first curtain call, and I think that's just uh, it's it's kind of hard to believe that that was the first time he'd ever received a curtain call. Um, and I'm sure a lot of Rockies fans were like, whoa, Arenado, what's going on? Like, uh, you can't do me like that. But, you know, if that's if that's what he says, um, then, you know, more power to him for speaking his truth. But, you know, for it to be in St. Louis in the home opener like that, 
you know, that's even more even more uh, special of a moment for him as a St. Louis Cardinal coming in, it being his first season, obviously. Um, and I think, you know, one thing that Matt Nulls and I both picked up on um, as he was uh, rounding first base uh, after he hit that home run was just the sheer emotion that he showed. Uh, if you go back and look at the replay, he was fired up as he rounded first, yelling out towards the outfield. You know, obviously not into a particular someone like, you know, a certain Reds player did, but he was super amped up and, uh, you know, was yelling out to the uh, yelling out into the outfield as he's touching home. You know, he's super amped up, jumping around, giving high fives to the guys. Um, and then, you know, that curtain call comes and he stands up and, and, you know, salutes the crowd and then gives us a little bit of a fist pump, too. And, and the big thing here is, is that guy has to love playing in St. Louis right now. I know, you know, when you're playing professional baseball, you should be, you know, you should be happy all the time. You're playing, you're playing a game, man. It's you, that's what you do. Um, but to come from a, a team like the Rockies, and this is, I mean, this is no disrespect to the Rockies, but you're coming from a team um, that is not as, you know, rich in history as the St. Louis Cardinals, doesn't have the track record of the Cardinals. Uh, but when you come from that kind of a team, to the Cardinals and you get that moment and and you show that emotion um, I think you can put to bed the talk of well maybe he'll opt out and I didn't think he really wanted to opt out to begin with I mean he's given us a uh, pretty strong hints you know uh, in interviews saying you know I'm here to stay I'm here to play play in St. Louis um, and you know you can take that and say you know that was really the first moment where you said okay I'm not too worried about him leaving but that emotion that you saw on on Thursday, that was it. That's how that's how you should go forward thinking to yourself, this guy is going to be a St. Louis Cardinal for a very long time. And um, I don't think he's going to opt out at any time soon unless there was a, a cra something crazy happened. But I think he's going to be a St. Louis Cardinal uh, for a very long time. And speaking of his transition from the Rockies to the Cardinals, it also came out that I guess at one point Wayne was giving a TV interview and Nolan Arenado had sent him a couple of videos of um, him taking swings or feeling ground balls. I can't remember exactly what it was, um, but you know, would send a video to, to Wayno or something like that and, and said, you know, show this to Mo. Um, and so if you don't think that this was in the works for quite a while, I think uh, that can also be put to bed because I think that's that has always been the case. You know, the rumors connecting Arenado to the Cardinals have always been there. I think the Cardinals were looking at Arenado a couple of years ago and thinking, how do we get him on this team? Um, you know, and for whatever reason, it just didn't happen until uh, this this last offseason. But right now, you know, uh, looking back on Thursday's game, you're you're certainly excited to see him be on the team. So let's move on to uh, another positive that I took away was the bullpen continued to be lights out. Um, and we'll we'll discuss a little bit more about uh, the bullpen as uh, as we get into games two and three. But the bullpen in game one was just absolutely phenomenal. Reyes got a third save. Um, Gallegos was just absolutely filthy. Hicks was great. Reyes was great. Uh, there's not a lot to be said there outside of they were just fantastic. And that's that's what you want to see. Um, I said it 
on the last episode that the the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, if it's Gallegos and Hicks and Reyes, if you're swapping either two for eighth or ninth, that's uh, to me that is the best combination seven, eight, nine in the bullpen in the game of baseball. Um, they're just that good, and the Cardinals, if they can. Um, need to continue to use them to that advantage because uh, they'll win a lot of games if they're in the lead with those three on the mound. Um, but as we all know, especially from games two and three, you have to get to that point. So let's talk a little bit about the negatives. Um, I'll say this was the, with a very fine grain of salt. Um, when you're going up against a pitcher like Corbin Burns, you're more than likely not going to score a lot of runs. So if you were a betting person, you definitely should have taken the under on this one. But Corbin Burns, his last time out, only gave up one run only and didn't give up a hit until that home run to Byron Buxton against Minnesota. And as I said in the last episode, the only reason he lost that game was because uh, Jose Barrios for the Twins was just as good and had a no-hitter right alongside him. Um, so going into this game, you should have expected the Cardinals to have a tough fight ahead. Uh, much like the Sandy L concert game. That's why there's a little bit of a parallel here that I'm going to draw. Um, Burns was very good, and when, when you got a guy that can throw that hard and locate as well as he did, um, you're not you're going to have to uh, find a way to win is how, you, is how you're going to have to put it, right? You have to find a way to push any kind of run that you can across the board, and that's what they did, uh, you know, eventually – but for the first six innings of this game, they were not a very good hitting team. Um, and that's more a, a compliment to Burns, I think, than it is to the team. Because uh, I think the Cardinals can be a good hitting team. Um, but when you're facing a pitcher that good, you know, it's it obviously amplifies it a little bit more. So I think the negative that you can take away from it, though, is that there's a very, very low contact rate, you know. Strikeouts piled up very quickly. I think this game had 12 for the Cardinals, um, and a lot of them came through Burns. I think at least seven or eight of them came through Burns. Um, and granted, again, he's a great pitcher, but you have to be able to make contact with the ball. Uh, we talked about it in last episode where we talked about productive outs, right? You have to be able to move people when you need to with using the outs that you have, um, and just find a way to put the bat to the ball, and they did not do a good job of that. And it only it took it took a new pitcher to get out of that. Now let's talk. Let you know the thing is, is if this if this game was you know in July, I guarantee you Corbin Burns is out there for that seventh inning. Maybe goes eight, and maybe you start to pick a pick away at Corbin Burns just a little bit more because three times to the order. You know statistically they say. Um, the batters have a better chance. But I think the fact of the matter is, is you know, you want to be able to get to these guys as early as you can to push that bullpen, make the series a little bit easier for you as time goes on. But you can't just continuously strike out. And I think, you know, one of the things I said last time was be on the lookout for these strikeouts. They're starting to pile up. It's a very worrisome. That low contact rate, very worrisome, especially for some certain guys, and we'll get the, we'll get to that uh, to those guys later on in this episode. But that's just something that you have to have to be aware of. Um, so again, I'm not going to say that there was 
you know, the onus on this is all on the Cardinals hitting because they did what they had to do. They got the run across, and then Nolan Arenado hits that home run. They win the game. You take the wins. And, again, gutsy wins matter, uh, especially in a division divisional game this early on in April. Um, you want to play as good a baseball as you can as you, as you get the season going. And, and I'm going to throw this out there again. This is eight games, you know, as of now, we are nine games into the season. Um, but at the time, you know, six games in and you're thinking, man, uh, how are we going to beat these guys if, you know, come July if we can't get to them now? Don't worry about that. you got to focus on what's going on in the present. And, and that's what the Cardinals did. So all in all, it's a great gutsy win. And I, I really appreciated the effort. And I really, really just that home run by Arenado was uh, – something to be to be admired and I even texted Matt Knowles the next morning I said um, this may sound very blasphemous in a way but you know that Nolan Arenado home run reminded me of the late Pujol you know late inning Pujols home runs that he used to do when he was a, a St. Louis Cardinal um, and you know that's just something very special and if Arenado continues to have that kind of uh that kind of season and those captivating moments. I mean, you're, you're, you're looking at a very special season and, and hopefully the Cardinals can put, put it all together. So let's go ahead and move on to game two, where we uh, start to see the ugly side of the, uh, of the series, especially early on. Um, but I'll start with the positives. Um, this was the first time I think you got to see uh, Yadier Molina move to fifth in the order um, and start to see some lineup changes. And we speculated that that was going to happen soon. Um, we just didn't know how soon it was going to be. Um, but this was the day that it that Mike Schilt decided, you know what, I need to move Yachty up. And, and granted, we had said it in the past, Yachty has been our best, one of our best hitters all season long. Um, so, it, again, it was a matter of time for Schilt to actually do it, but he never ended up doing anything until this moment. And so... What you saw, though, was Yachty still be a great player, a great hitter. I think he had three hits that game. Two runs came across from him. Um, so it's him. Can, Yachty's, Yadier Molina's play right now is, is at such a high level. And again, we saw it even today in the last game of the series, you know, on that bunt play, that the instincts that he has to play this game are just beyond a lot of players on the Cardinals, and there are not many... Uh, catchers that are that could even play at at his age as high a level as he does. Um, so again, I will continue to defend Yachty to anybody, but I, I don't think there's much to defend when you can see it day in and day out how good he actually is. But again, moving Yachty to the fifth spot in the order made a lot of sense. Um, unfortunately, you know he can't do it all, um, and uh, I think that's something to. To, to monitor over the next couple of weeks as Yachty probably will flex between the fourth, fifth, and sixth spot as we saw today when he um, was moved into the cleanup spot um, because of a certain someone's play. But let's continue uh, with some positives. And, and I know this one's probably going to be a little bit of a head-scratcher, but I actually was okay with how Martinez pitched in, in the first Part. Yes, I know he had his moments like he always does, um, but he seems to be a little bit more consistent in my eyes 
um, with what he has. Um, and he only gave up one run in that first inning, and it wasn't until the fifth inning that he gave up, you know, his second and third runs on a home run um, by Avisal Garcia. But I think that the takeaway here is he he was he tried to do as much as he could, um, and it wasn't necessarily him that hindered the team from winning this game. It was more so more, more so that the Cardinals just could not find anything. They didn't get their first couple runs until um, the sixth inning. And then unfortunately, um, as a new pitcher comes into the game, um, that's where it kind of fell off the wagon a little bit. You see those five earned runs come across and, you know, the game is essentially uh, not necessarily completely out of reach, but you got that feeling. You kind of thought to yourself, ah, this probably isn't going to happen for the team today. Um, and you can take whatever you want from that, but I, I think overall Martinez did a pretty decent job. Um, you know, he goes he goes five innings, he gives up three earned runs. I think the only thing that really, you know, set set back for him was that he only struck out one guy. And I know he's not throwing nearly as hard as he used to, but he has the stuff to be a strikeout pitcher. Um so you would wish you would have seen a little bit more in that department, um, but he didn't walk a single batter. He gave up eight hits, and that's what's that's what's going to happen. You know, um, sometimes the team just is ready to hit, and um, there's not really much you can do about it except for hopefully your defense comes through for you. Um, but all in all, I think it was a pretty decent game by Martinez. The offense just failed to keep up with that. Um, and then I'm going to throw this one out there because I think it was actually very, uh, very a very, it's a very telling sign of what's to come for this particular player. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to Austin Dean as a positive. Um, he had that three run home run, um, in this game and he hit it a long way. Don't, don't kid yourself. I mean, Big Mac lands pretty, pretty far up there in the stands and that's a good distance out. Um, but he comes in for Tyler O'Neill. Uh, O'Neill got hurt, and he's got right growing tightness. He's on the 10-day IL. Um, so Austin Dean comes in. He has a two-for-three day, um, three RBIs, two runs. I mean, that's a pretty good day, especially coming off you know a pretty tough series or a tough start to the season where you know him and Justin Williams were 0 for 9 with like 6Ks or something like that. Um, so for him to come in and, and take left field and do a pretty good job out there um, you know was very very rewarding in a sense that hey maybe he's starting to turn things around and I think he really uh, he does uh, moving into game three and we'll get there as soon as we can but um, I think that is a sign of something to come for Austin Dean you know he's gonna see more playing time with Tyler O'Neill on the on the uh, IL um, so this is his opportunity to take left field from Tyler O'Neill or take right field from whomever is in right field because don't forget you have Harrison Bader probably coming back soon and you know once Tyler O'Neill is healthy Will he reclaim his left field spot, and uh, will it now become a, or will it become a carousel with whomever Mike Schilt is feeling on that day? Um, you never know. But if I'm Austin Dean right now, I'm taking my chances. I'm gonna make the best of it because you don't know when the next time you're, when the you know the next prolonged playing time you're gonna have. 
Um, so this is a moment for Austin Dean to really push for some playing time. I'm expecting him to do uh, to do just that. And, you know, even today you saw him play pretty well. Yes, he had that. Uh, I wouldn't even call it an error in left field. Um, but I'll get there. We're going to talk about that defensive play a little bit. But he's going to push for some playing time. So besides that, let's talk about some of the negatives of this game two that um, really st stood out to me at least. Um, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but giving up runs with no counterpunch on offense can really, really suck the momentum from a team. I mean, again, the Cardinals didn't score until the sixth inning, and then you gave up five runs, and then you have an Austin Dean home run. Yes, it was three-run home run, and it cut the lead a little bit, but again, by that time, you, you know, you were looking at a 9-2 to ball game. And that essentially, you know, in the eighth inning was felt out of reach because, you know, in the back in their back pocket, Milwaukee still had Josh Hader and, uh, and Williams to throw at us if they needed him. And that's the thing. They didn't even need him in game two, nor did they use him in game three, which meant you didn't even see them the entire series and they still beat you 9-5, to five. or a, like today, um, scoring another nine runs, right? They still were able to beat you, um, and without the use of those, those two pitchers, and they could have used them in this game just to get them work, and the Cardinals, I don't think, would have touched them. Um, so I, I, I really think, you know, looking back at game two, giving up those runs without uh, any counterpunch or any offensive uh uh, push uh, really hurt the team. Um, they had 11 hits, which you would think, you know, if you're scoring 11 hits, you know, five runs is probably right around where you'd think it is. But, you know, the Brewers had 13, and a lot of them came in in one time, and, you know, some came through the home run ball. Um, and that's just, you know, that's just how it goes. Um, so let's talk about um, the bullpen a little bit. You know, for as much praise as I heaped on them early on, in this episode and in this season so far, um, they they hit a snag this time, and I'm not gonna throw too much uh, blame on them. You know, it's bound to happen. Um, but Tyler Webb, you know, giving up all those runs, you gotta figure that out. I mean, that's something that you just can't do. Andrew Miller, you know, same thing. You can't you can't continuously give up those runs and expect to win games or at least stay in games. You know, like I said in game one. The fact that the bullpen was able, and Wayno, I should say, the fact that the the pitching was able to keep people or keep the game within within reach for the Cardinals, that's how you win those close games. Now this wasn't particularly close after the bullpen has its mishaps, but you have to be able to stick stay with the the pace. You know, at the time, you know, whenever you know when you're going into the sixth inning and you're only losing three to zero. And you get two runs in that in that bottom half of the six. It's three to two. You're thinking, okay, hey, we've got plenty of time to work here. You've got seven, eight, ninth innings to get some runs. You've got time. The last thing that the Cardinals you needed to do there was give up some more runs to push that game out of reach. And that's just what happened. I mean, those games are going to happen. But there is somebody that really needs to be talked about at this moment and in this particular game, and that was Paul DeYoung. And I and I can tell you this, the days of Paul DeYoung as the fourth place hitter, they're over. 
I don't think that Mike Schilt can trust Paul DeYoung in the four hole moving forward until he shows that he can hit with some average and with some power. Because at that moment in game two, he had three strikeouts. And there was a moment, a very particular moment in this particular game, game two, where he comes up to bat with two outs with the bases loaded. And at that moment, before that, before he comes up to the plate, Nolan Arenado was at the plate and the Brewers intentionally pitched around him. Not through the intentional walk, literally just pitched around him because they said, you know what? I'm not going to let your hottest hitter beat me today. No, sir, not today. I would rather die by Paul DeYoung than Nolan Arenado. And they were right. And this goes back to something I said about Nick Castellanos in the Red Series, right? He was he mashed the ball off Martinez when they last played him. And then they decided to pitch to him again after the first time he hits a triple. Then they pitch him again, and then he hits a two-run home run, and we all know how that brouhaha ends up being or whatever. But the point of the, the fact of the matter is, is that the Brewers said, you know what? I'm not going to let Nolan Arenado beat me, so Paul DeYoung, have at it. And guess what? Paul DeYoung strikes out on three straight pitches. Three straight. And one of them being a 93-mile-an-hour fastball right down the middle of the plate. Couldn't hit it. I don't know why. Maybe because he didn't get his front foot down. Maybe he's not ready to, to hit. Maybe it's the confidence factor, like with Matt Carpenter. He just doesn't have the confidence to actually hit the ball. And that stinks. That's not good. You know, that's not good baseball. Because right now, you know, Paul DeYoung is in the starting lineup because he's one of the better shortstops in the National League. He's good defensively, and we know he can be a good hitter. But for whatever reason, for the last couple of years, it's just been a very, very hard struggle for him. I don't get it. Because as a major league professional baseball player, you should be able to hit 93 miles an hour down the middle. There's no reason you should. Shoot, if Shohei Otani can be a pitcher, I mean, he's a two-way stud, but if Shohei Otani can hit a, a 96-mile-an-hour fastball up in the zone and club it out 450 feet away, a position player like Paul DeYoung should be able to handle 93. There's no reason for that. But for whatever reason, he just cannot find that stroke. He cannot find his groove right now. And I think that is just continuously messing with his head. I mean, he's piled up a ton of strikeouts. A ton. I mean, it's almost it's almost hard to believe how many strikeouts that he has. But this, these are the numbers right now. He has 12 strikeouts. 12 strikeouts in nine games. Only three hits. That's all he's got. That's all he's got. Two home runs, four RBIs, and both of them were solo shots. It's not good enough for your fourth place hitter. I know that. And and I certainly defended Paul DeYoung amongst our chat in our chat group and whatnot. He's gonna give him a chance. I mean, it is what it is. But at this point, you cannot continue to to put Paul DeYoung in, in pressure situations in, in as the fourth place hitter. He's just not that. He's just not that. And of course, Mike Schilt, you know, obviously changed it for Game Three, 
um, and not you know that's not too little too late or anything like that. It's only nine games into the season, and Paul DeYoung, for what you know, for for all intents and purposes, he might find his stroke you know tomorrow, and go off on a tear, and then you know Mike Schilt says you know what okay I'm ready to put you back in the fourth spot, but as of right now you can't trust him there. You can't. And the fact of the matter is, is even moving him to the fifth spot like Mike Schilt did today isn't going to cut it either. Because look at what Yadier Molina did in the fifth spot in game two versus where he was in other in the other games, batting sixth. Equal, you know, consistent production from Yadier Molina in the sixth or the fifth. That's what you get. With, with Paul DeYoung, you got consistent, but it was bad. You still got your strikeouts. You still didn't get hits. You still were not good enough to do what you need to do as the fourth place hitter. So Mike Schilt needs to really, really think about a lot of things. We'll, again, we'll talk about that as some of the last thoughts of the day. But we're, he really, really needs to think about what he's going to do moving forward with this lineup. Because there are a lot of warning signs that are there now it's just a matter of whether or not Mike Schilt is going to listen to them. But, you know, that's that's something that he will have to come to grips with sooner or later, and hopefully sooner, because you can't afford to lose a lot of games in April. You know, I, I thought I saw today um, a couple of tweets, you know, saying, well, it's only nine games, and agree, and again, I agree with that. It's only nine games. But what happens if the Cardinals lose out of a playoff spot or a division title by one or two games? Are you going to look back at any of these first nine games that they, you know, the games obviously that they lost and say, man, we really should have won those games and I can't believe we didn't? Because one thing's for sure, right, when the Cardinals lose, they get pretty much blown out. When they win, it's either... It's either a close game or they they win pretty consistently themselves but where is where is it where is the fine line between these games matter in April or they don't um, I'm of the mindset that they always matter every game matters from 1 to 162 and then if you're lucky enough to get to the playoffs those games matter even more but everything matters at this point and you can't as a manager you cannot take days off you know, yes, there are getaway lineups or, you know, there are games where you're like, you know what, you, you push to the side and say, you know, we didn't have it today. And maybe that's what the Saturday game was. But those were winnable games because of who you're facing as pitchers. If you can go out and beat Corbin Burns, you should be able to beat a, a Hauser. And especially today with a guy who threw a, who had a 7.20 ERA in Anderson, you could have beat him, but you didn't because the offense wasn't good enough. And maybe that comes down to lineup construction, or maybe it was the pitcher, you know, like Ponce de, Le Ponce de Leon. We'll get to him, too. But Mike Schilt has a lot to do with how this is going. Um, and that that actually played out in Game 3, so let's go ahead and get to that one. Um, there's not a lot of positives coming from Game 3, but I can think of two off the top of my head. One is that Nolan Arenado extends his hit streak to nine games, which has never been done by uh, by a St. Louis Cardinal in his first season with the team. I, you know, that's never been done. And Nolan Arenado right now is our most consistent hitter. 
He's our best player right now by far. And, you know, you again, as we said last episode, and I probably have said it at some point today, watching him play baseball is extra fun. And I really hope that people appreciate what he has brought to the table as a St. Louis Cardinal. And I know I saw a couple of tweets today about how, you know, Nolan Arenado leaves the Rockies but comes to St. Louis to lose, you know, because of Ponce de Leon or the the in, team's inability to, to field a great rotation, yada, yada, yada. And I'm just like, you know what? I think Nolan Arenado likes being in St. Louis because we're winners. And I'm not going to listen to that to that noise. So Nolan Arenado, nine-game hit streak. Let's see if he can extend it to 10 tomorrow against the Nationals. Um, and hopefully even further on than that. Um, that would be very a very cool thing, you know, to see him continue that continue that that pace. The other positive, and I think there's only one true positive of this game is um, Oviedo's uh you know, I guess, uh, emergency start per se, or emergency relief, I guess, in the technical sense, you know, Oviedo was called up today and I'm not sure he thought to himself, you know what, I'm going to find myself in this game sooner than later. There was a good chance of how it was going to go down, but we, you know, we weren't really, probably weren't really ready for, um, him being into the game as soon as he was. But let's talk about Oviedo because when you go 4.2, only give up two hits, walk two, strike out four, especially knowing that the previous guy gave up seven earned, so your main objective is to literally not give up any more so that your team has a chance at winning. Um, that says a lot. And he looked good. He looked great, in fact. I mean, I, there wasn't really much to complain about his his performance. He threw 65 pitches. 42 of them were strikes. Like I said, he only walked two batters. You'd take that any day. Compared to Ponce de Leon, who walked four, didn't strike out anybody. Oviedo only gave up two hits to Ponce de Leon, six. And obviously, zero runs to seven. That's good. You'll take that any day. Because if Oviedo actually would have started and they stretch out his arm a little bit, I guarantee you he only had 65 through 4.2 innings, which means he probably could have got through at least five innings with 70 pitches. And you'll take that, especially the way that the Cardinals starting pitching has gone. You'll definitely take five innings on 70 pitches. But he probably could have gone six had he been the actual starter. So I think when you when you look at the overall objective of Oviedo to keep the game within reach even though it was still seven earned by Ponce de Leon in the first inning you know first two really he did his job and I would be shocked absolutely shocked if Oviedo doesn't get a chance in this rotation I would be shocked if he didn't there's no reason for him not to get an opportunity to start and the only thing that deters him is if KK, when he comes back, which will probably be some point this week, when he comes back, um, that might be the only deterrent for Johan Oviedo to, to, to be in the rotation, or at least the back end of it. 
because you also have to see what Gant gives you against the Nationals. And I recall not that long ago, I think it was two years ago, that Gant went up against Max Scherzer and beat him. And if that's the kind of Gant that you get this time around or throughout the year consistently, uh, you'll take that too. So, Johan Oviedo pitched well enough to be a starter. That's for dang sure. And if he's not starting over, you know, Ponce de Leon, the next time that that spot in the rotation comes up, there's a there are going to be a lot of people asking questions. And I think Mo should be one of those people asking questions. Like, you know, what gives? What happened? But I think that's just something that, you know, Mike Schilt also has to answer to, which we'll get we'll get to that here in a second. Mike Schilt in this game because I think this was probably one of his worst managing games in a, in a, quite some time. So Ponce de Leon negative. <laughs> I don't think there's much really to say outside of seven earned runs is in 1.1 innings is is not good. Some say would bad. Some say it would be bad, but it's not good. And I think. What I'm going to draw uh, a conclusion to with this, because I don't want to spend too much time on this versus the other stuff that I'd rather talk about. And that is, both Matt Knowles and I, in our last episode, talked about Ponce de Leon and his approach to, to pitching last, you know, last week or last series against the Marlins. And the use of the fastball worked against the Marlins but it wasn't going to work against a good team. Matinal said it and even I said it. When you are throwing that many fastballs you might get away with it against a bad team but you will not get away with it against a good hitting team. And as I said in last week's episode, right? Milwaukee was one of the worst hitting teams coming into the series against the Cardinals. They didn't look like it this time. And obviously that you know time was gonna help them eventually. But that was against pitchers who were throwing fastballs, changeups, curves, off speed, whatever kind of off speed they had. Not just against a, a pitcher who primarily throws a fastball. Ponce alone was not good. And he was missing his spots. His fastball was flat. That's easy to hit. Heck, Lorenzo Cain, I think, was on the first pitch, almost took him out. On a fastball, 93 miles an hour, right down the pipe. Right down the pipe. So, you know, these games, whenever you're going into these games, and, and, and the best pitching strategy that you have is, I'm going to try and locate my fastball as best as I can, well, heck, your best as you can better be the best that you've ever done or the or better than the last time you came out. Because, look, you walked four people, including the pitcher at one point, to push another run across. The pitcher, you know, the guy, the guy probably doesn't swing that hard anyway. He doesn't, he's not trying to swing that hard. He wants to keep his stamina up. But he didn't have to do anything for them to give up a run. You know, you walk the pitcher, that's that's the tail. That should have been the last thing. That should have been the last pitch that Ponce de Leon threw. But that wasn't the case. 
but Ponce de Leon, man, that to go from having a pretty good outing, and you know, we even said that that was one of the brighter spots in the Marlins series, but to go from that kind of an outing to to almost a complete 180, that's tough. And let me tell you, it's not going to get any easier because the Nationals are a better team, or at least as good of a team as the Brewers are. Not that he would face them, but at some point he might. And the Reds, if they're going to continue to play at a high level, they're going to be just just as good. Brewers, obviously. Dodgers, what about them? You don't think the Dodgers can hit 93? I guarantee it. So, so when you go into these games and you, and you see Ponce de Leon struggle for seven or four walks by just throwing fastballs, essentially, that's tough. And, and let me let me put it to you this way, right? Because there was at one point, I, I'm pretty sure he threw a slider and got somebody to foul or pop up to center or pop up in the, in the outskirts of the infield. And I had to ask myself, was that an actual slider? Because it looked pretty good. It had some good action to it, and he got somebody out. And I'm thinking to myself, where the heck was that earlier? Or at any point last time around when he pitched? Where was it? If you don't have a feel for off-speed pitches in the majors, you're not going to have a lot of success as a big league starter. That's for sure. Maybe as a reliever, but you're not going to have a lot of success without your off-speed and I'm not even talking changeup at this point. I'm talking about a slider or a curveball. If you don't have that, I don't know what to tell you. But if that's the case, then there's another question that I think people are starting to ask themselves even more: is how could the, how could it be possible that the Cardinals don't have a better rotation if they knowingly know, or knowingly I can't say knowingly know, but knowingly have a pitcher only throwing fastballs doesn't make a lot of sense to me but again I don't make the team I don't pay the pay the guys to play but something's got to give here and that's gonna lead me into Mike Schilt and I kind of alluded to it earlier but I think you know a lot of people are starting to ask a lot of questions about Mike Schilt's ability to manage, ability to, to make decisions, and I'm starting to, to feel that pressure too. I mean, I think, case in point, like I said earlier, I think this was one of his worst uh, managing days, but, you know, they're going to happen too. You can't be perfect all the time. Um, but let's start with the first bad decision I thought uh, that came his way. That was moving Dylan Carlson out of center field. Dylan Carlson was playing a great center field for the Cardinals while Harrison Bader has been out on the IL. Um, there's no reason for Lane Thomas to be there. Um, in my opinion, you could have easily have moved uh, Austin Dean to right field and put Lane in left or vice versa. It doesn't matter. But he shouldn't have been in center field. And what does he do? Lane Thomas misses that first ball that's hit to him, uh, tries to dive, and, and this is what I don't understand, right? I, I, I played in the outfield, and I think one of the one of the things that you're taught as an outfielder is keep the ball in front of you if you have to. 
and I understand that it was the first inning, and 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 that surely probably played a factor in the decision making by Lane Thomas. But know the situation. There was a there was a time uh, when Dexter Fowler was playing center field. This was a game in Pittsburgh. Um, we gave up, I think, seven earned in the first inning, or some crazy number as well. And the Cardinals actually came back. But there was a moment in that game that the bases were loaded, and a ball was hit to Dexter Fowler, and it was a sinking liner. He knew he wasn't going to catch it, but what did he do? He dives and misses the ball, and three runs score. And the game becomes blown wide open because of that. Bad decision-making. Same thing happened with Lane Thomas here. Sinking liner, probably wasn't going to catch it. He was close, but he wasn't going to catch it. But he dived, and instead of keeping it in front of him, it goes by him, and that prolongs the inning a little bit more, and they score a bunch of runs. Again, you need to know your situation, and I think what the problem was is, as a center fielder or as an outfielder or as any infielder in general too, you need to know that your pitcher is struggling and you got to limit the damage as much as possible. And if that means keeping the ball in front of you so only one a, a runner can only advance one base or how, whatever it is the case, the whatever brings the most the least amount of damage, you have to take that risk instead of diving and missing the ball. Because you then you're relying on the decision making of the other outfielder, closest one to you to back you up. Because what happens if they don't back that up? That's an inside the park home run almost guaranteed. Thankfully, Carlson backed, you know, Thomas up at that point. So then what happens? Thomas is pulled from center and and Carlson goes back to center. Like I don't get that. I I truly don't get that. And that's on Mike Schilt. That's not on Lane Thomas. Yes, Lane Thomas made the, the wrong play. That's on Mike Schilt. What also is on Mike Schilt is his inability to pull Ponce de Leon quicker than he needed to. Ponce de Leon didn't have it. He just did not have it. And granted, yes, you have to get pitchers warmed up, whatever the case may be. But it was very clear he didn't have it. And I think the moment that you needed to go get him was after he walks that pitcher to push it to 4-0. to zero. Because guess what happens? Home run after that in the second inning. Easy to pull him, but he didn't. And I don't understand why. I, I Again, maybe it's because he was trying to get somebody warmed up. But he was struggling the entire time. And, you know, when you go down 4-0 in the first inning... That's not end-all, be-all, but when you don't score in that subsequent half inning and then you give up three more and only score one run, you have to ask questions. You have to start asking yourself, you know, what is what is the game plan right here, Mike? What is it? Because if you're just trying to get Ponce on work, then <laughs> let him do work in the, from the bullpen. When one of your other starters who are more consistent has an actual blow-up instead of saying, you know what, I'm playing Russian roulette and say, Ponce and give me what you got. You either get shot in the foot or you don't. But the decision-making from Mike Schilt has to improve. You can't do that. And again, I know somebody's probably that's going to listen to this, oh, well, it's only nine games in. I understand that. But again, as I said, these games matter too.
especially when you're playing against a divisional opponent. If it was against somebody else, like if it was against the Miami Marlins, so be it. So be it. But you're playing the divisional rival here. Person, probably the team that's going to push you the entire season. Maybe the Reds too, but we'll see. But for somebody that who needs to be managing at a high level at all times, not one of his greater days. And then there's also the there's also the the decision to move Yadi to fourth. And granted, yes, Yadi has been one of our most consistent hitters, and in the fourth spot, you know what? You do what you have to do. But it begs the question as to what the lineup construction should actually be. What is it? Is it at this point? Does does Mike Schilt tomorrow come up with some epiphany in his head and say, you know what? Today is the day I'm going to decide to move Carlson to the fourth hole or the two hole to offer some protection anywhere. Because remember what we talked about in game two, pitching around DeYoung, or I'm sorry, pitching around Arenado to get to DeYoung for DeYoung to strike out, you can't have that happen. And yeah, granted, Yadier Molina is not going to strike out most likely, you know, very low strikeout rate. That's okay. And you want that. But you could use Yachty in the fifth and sixth hole like he was and still be productive. Carlson was productive in the four hole. Why not try and just put him back there? Say, you know what? I'm tired of this experiment with DeYoung in, in the four hole. I'm moving on. Or put him in the two hole where he probably should be hitting anyway. Because he profiles more of a two than he does a four. But I, I would not be surprised if he goes anywhere else. But come on, Mike. You know, we asked the same question in, in, in the last week's episode. How long is it going to take for Mike Schilt to make a move for this lineup? Because let me tell you, you know, as bad as the outfielders have been, Dylan Carlson's the only one that's really made that much of a difference. And we're just starting to see, maybe get a peek at, at what Austin Dean can actually do when he's hitting with some confidence. But he just got to the lineup. And even then, he's been just as good. So what is he going to do? Personally, at this point, I think you have to you have to say Edmund 1, Carlson 2, Goldie 3, Arenado 4, or switch the two, probably Arenado 3, Goldie 4, Molina 5th. Then that's when you make the decision. Does the young hit 6th or 7th? If he hits 7th, that means you need to play your hottest bat moving forward. Well, that's probably Austin Dean. Which is crazy to say, but that might be it. And then DeYoung, and then your 8th place hitter, who wherever's in the outfield with the other two, and then your pitcher. That's got to be what it looks like soon or later. I don't know what they're going to do, and I don't know what Mike Schultz going to do, but he's got to figure it out. He's got to figure it out. That comes from the manager. And I think Matt Knowles is, is trying to press the question, who's actually making the lineup here? Because <laughs> it's not very good. Lineup construction matters, but, you know, you got to figure that out. Okay, enough about the Brewers series. We, You know, I, I thought we were going to win two of three. We, we end up losing two of three. Cardinals move on to their next series against the Nationals starting tomorrow. Um, expected pitchers for game one, Gant and, and Fed, or Feddy, I think is how it's pronounced. You know, 
looking into this series, I think you, coming off of a, a tough start in Miami, Gantt has to be better. And I think if you, you got to take it from this perspective too. Nationals are going to be hungry for a win here. They're 1-5, I believe, um, as of today. They're still a little depleted with their COVID issues. But they're going to be hungry for a win. They're going to be ready to play tomorrow. And the Cardinals need to come prepared for that. And Gant needs to come prepared to pitch. Like, I, we know he can. But he's got to be, come prepared. Then game two, you've got Strasburg and Flaherty. That's a heck of a matchup. Especially early on in April. You'll take that. I mean, today the, the Nationals had and Dodgers played, and it was Kershaw versus Scherzer. Dodgers ended up winning 3-0 to zero throughout the game, but that's a good matchup too. And Kershaw was able to hold them hitless, and I'm not saying Flaherty is Kershaw. I think Flaherty has a little bit to go to get that level. But Flaherty can be just as good, and he did a lot better of a job this time around in his second start than he did his, his first one. So let's see what start three brings. Then for game three, you've got uh, Joe Ross versus Adam Wainwright. And I got to think to myself that this might be the only win of this series. Um, Joe Ross is not a pushover. Um, he he took on the, the Dodgers the other day and, and pitched very well. So he's not a pushover, but he's not the most well-known. And maybe Fetty is probably a, an area where you think, okay, maybe I can get a win here. But, you know, overall with this series, I think the one thing that I'm particularly looking for is how does the offense play? Obviously, the starting pitching is very important. And we're, we're going to – I'll throw a stat at you that uh, Brendan Schaefer posted online on Twitter today. And that is it is relevant, but the offense is where I'm I'm hanging my hat this this series because we know what the Nationals carry. They have a very very good hitting team. Juan Soto, Trey Turner, Ryan Zimmerman, just to name three off the top of my head. Victor Robles is a great player too. This is not a pushover team, and they're in the stacked NL East. And they're going to be playing a lot of tough games. So at this moment, you're looking at, you know, you're probably staring down one of your potential playoff rivals here. Maybe to get into the wild card one or two position. So you need to be ready to play. And I think the offense has a good opportunity to to find their stroke again like they did in Miami and, and be able to put some runs up. But that game two, Strasburg versus Flaherty, That'd be a heck of a game to go watch in person. That'd be a lot of fun. So I'm gonna leave with I'm gonna end this episode with a couple last thoughts. And one I want to talk about is KK. He's on the way back. Update tomorrow. He pitched in the simulated game. Let's see how he feels and see where he's gonna slot into the rotation. My guess is that he pitches. He will not pitch during the national series, but he will pitch in that in that following series. Um, and we'll talk about that um, as the weekend goes. And that'll be against the Phillies at Philadelphia. Whether that'll be the Friday game, Saturday, or Saturday game, one of those two. But my guess is that if KK comes back into the rotation, 
um, we might see a little tinkering of the rotation on an off day where Martinez gets a, a start pushback and he becomes your fourth starter and KK slots into the third spot behind uh, Flaherty and Bueno, which means that either Ponce de Leon or Gant will no longer be in the rotation unless they go to a six-man rotation, which is very possible. But as I said, you know, at this point, Ponce de Leon is not giving you much, and if Gant doesn't give you much tomorrow, you really should look at Johan Oviedo. You have to, especially after what he did today. Then, you know, two final thoughts here. Um, one, uh, and I talked about it just a little bit ago, Brendan Schaefer tweeted this out. The Cardinals starting pitchers have thrown 38.1 innings so far, and your bullpen has thrown 40.2. That's not very good. And that's not a model that you can sustain the entire 162-game season. It's just not. You're not going to win that many games. So whatever the whatever the pitching has to do to figure it out, they got to do it soon because you can't burn your relievers out like this. By June, they'll be burnt out. And there's a lot, it's a lot of season left. So they need to figure this out sooner than later. Um, and so I, I fully expect, you know, Mike Schilt and, and Mike Maddox to uh, put a bug in some of these pitchers' ears and say, you know what, you either put up or shut up because they can't continue this pace. It's just not going to happen. Um, and then last but not least, as always, I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Emo's Pizza because they are the square beyond compared. And how about them blues? They're picking it up at the right time. I'm not going to say shades of 2019, but when you catch a team that's hot, that's the last team you want to face. And right now, that's that's the kind of level that they're playing at right now. So it's nice to see the Blues pick it up. Um, it's It'll be nice to see if the Cardinals can match that tone um, and, and start off this next series with the Nationals uh, on a good note. Again, tomorrow, first pitch should be right around uh, 6.45, 7-ish. I believe it's scheduled for a 6.45 start. Um, this is an opportunity to face a good team in, in the Nationals. Let's see if they can hang on um, and at least win 2-3 here. Uh, so that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Matt Knowles will be back next time. Um, again, thank you and go Cards.